0: I was pleased to see you smile
1: at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out
0: there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore.
2: Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, last night, Anthony Davis took five shots. LeBron James shot five for 20. D'Angelo Russell only played eight minutes because of a... Crappy ankle injury. Hopefully he's okay. Sounded like it's a day to day thing. And it did not matter. The Lakers blew out the Golden State Warriors in the second half of that game. And it was a very foreign experience for us, D. This happens to a lot of other teams, but not all that often to us. We shot the crap out of the ball. We shot 53% from three, led by Malik Beasley, but just an overall jump shooting performance, man, that was like, I'm having a hard time processing. Like going into the trade deadline, I was like, I hope we can take this glaring deficiency and just shore it up a bit. But now I think jump shooting is a strength of this team. And it's just everything's been flipped on its head in this way. And I think we're going to have games like this, man, where we just win because guys shoot well, because we have enough sh- enough guys who that's what they do. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, man, on a, a an exciting night that I thought really showed off our depth.
3: So one quick point about this. Even if the Lakers aren't a great shooting team, they got dudes who get them up. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw that clip of Darvin Ham and Malik Beasley. Oh, yes. Right? And that was so great. Uh, explain for, you, for anybody who didn't hear it. Yeah. So if you guys haven't seen the clip, Beasley went to the sideline and Darvin's there. And
2: I think it's at a free throw break. And he had just clanked a three, like one of those where it's like at the top of the key and it goes off the backboard. Like He doesn't even hit the rim. It was a brick. Well, he had taken two straight shots, Like One, he like got it on a curl
3: and basically put up a runner that like missed horribly. Mm-hmm. And then on a couple of possessions later, but his next shot, he took a three that seriously, he must have missed it by like two feet. To the to the left. <laughs> to the left, yeah. Like he missed it very poorly. And then he had hit one where he was wide open, spun the ball in his hand, like looked around, took his temperature, I think. He might have like pointed to a fan and went and dapped up Denzel. He had all the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and he buried a three, right? And so they show a clip, and this is a composite clip from TNT. And he makes the shot. In the first part of the clip, and the second part of the clip, he goes to the sideline to talk to Darvin Ham, and Darvin's like, "What's up, Bees? What you got for me?" And Bees is like, "Hey, man, I'm sorry. Sorry about that last shot." And Darvin's just like, "What you mean? like? What are you talking? What about? you mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, what you mean? That's what you're here to do.
2: Get them up. Keep getting them up. Keep getting them up." Well, and the punchline he said just real quick. The last thing he said, "Don't turn down. Don't turn down anything but your collar." That's right? right. Like this That's idea, right. of like you don't turn down any shots. AD spoke to this in the post game as well. Yes,
3: indeed. And so in taking out a tiny morsel of your initial point, Pete, and I'm going to kick to bike here, is even if shooting isn't this huge strength for the team now, but I think that it's trending towards them being a good shooting team for sure, with a player like Beasley and a player like D'Lo and a player like Bamba, where when they are open – they are shooting these threes and then you supplement them with a Troy Brown, who is just like, I'm getting these shots up, too, because I'm mm-hmm. open. Austin Reeves, he will take open threes. Dennis Schroeder. And then you've got LeBron, who who takes, you know, five, six, seven threes a game. They are now a team, Mike, that they will get them up now. And a team that gets them up that way, they just get defended differently than a team that does not. And the Lakers have been, before the trade deadline, they were one of the lowest volume three-point shooting teams in the league. And guess what? When that is your shot profile, teams defend you accordingly. And so just on that point, Mike, I wanted to kick it to you just from this big picture idea of whether they're a shooting team or not, like, hey, look at that, Beasley, you're just getting up 11 threes in, in a game. That's like one third of what the Lakers total would typically be on any given night and it's coming from a single player and that sort of volume is going to open up so many things for the lakers offense and that's sort of stood out to me in this specific game more than any of the games since the trade deadline
1: there was just one thing that i didn't like about the game and that was the garbage time guys don't lose the garbage time minutes by 15 points you know come on now That, that, that hurts the net rating let's go
2: I look forward again, Mike, to being spoiled uh, about such things and, you know, griping about not blowing teams out by 20 plus instead of uh, instead of that. Yeah, those are our our former first world problems. I I miss them.
1: That garbage time unit should be better uh, than they were, although they didn't really have a point guard, I guess, for part of it. So that was that was kind of it was like it was like Lonnie just kind of going up and looking for his own offense, which which actually, you know, it's good to see him get some shots up and hit some shots. All right. Now moving past that, you know. LeBron's game to me was the most interesting uh, in that he obviously Mm -hmm. didn't play that that well for his standard. He didn't shoot that well. He was five for 20, uh, but he still ended up a plus 22. And he still like he still impacted the way that the defense played the Lakers, as did Anthony Davis, while only taking five shots. And this to me is kind of the key takeaway out of it. It's not so much just, oh, the Lakers won by a lot. Uh, with LeBron and AD not needing to have their typical offensive game, where you know they combined, they combined for twenty-five points. It's more just the like looking at what Golden State's game plan was and how there's how teams are trying to play against the Lakers now with this lineup and just with the additions and taking Beverly and Shooter out of the starting lineup, you know, putting Russell and Beasley in, and then having a stretch five um, as the backup five. And having Hachimura now as a backup who is going to shoot it when he gets it, even if it's in the mid range, just a a different, it's just a different type of team. And it's going to take a different type of, I think, defense to play against them. And I'm not sure, you know, that will, I think teams will adjust, but Golden State and the Pelicans, who both were missing key pieces and who both didn't play, I I think, particularly well. uh, I'm, I'm just really curious now to see how this, how this moves forward onto this three game trip. Um, against teams that are, I think, going to play pretty well um, in their home buildings, and D'Angelo Russell's ankle is certainly a concern. He left the game in the first half. X-rays were negative; they said it's day to day, but he was certainly limping. Uh, and to me, when you leave a game with an ankle and don't come back, um, that's not always a great sign for the next game. Because usually, if it's just a if it's just a nothing one, then you you know go back and finish the game and tape it up, like we've seen guys do before. So that does to me give. You know, represent a little bit of concern uh, not just for russell but for the continuity even if it's not going to be something that keeps out for a long time so that's i i do think that's a headline out of this but my my bigger one is just what are teams going to do with this new look lakers team and how are they going to defend them which i think it's going to be harder to do than the team that they had before the all-star break before they made the trade
2: i think One of the things that was important in this transition to this newish team is to try to keep what's good about the version of us that led to this point, right? And we've spoken a lot about how this is a new team and it is about as new as you can get at a trade deadline, but it's not an entirely new team and it has certain aspects of its personality and profile built up over the first uh, two thirds of the season that I've been curious, like how much of that are we going to hold on to? And so LeBron being a plus 22 while shooting five for 20, I think speaks to this in that we killed them in transition. It was like 29 to eight in fast break points or something like that. But 29 fast break points is a ton. And LeBron was really assertive in transition, both as a ball handler, but also as a passer. And That's one of the things about Beasley that's really stood out to me is this dude runs. like He's running up and down the court. He's running and sprinting in half-court sets. And it just really helps everything flow in a way that if you can have that initial force and push that a LeBron outlet pass can create, that's to Dennis Schroeder, who's also going to attack, or a Vanderbilt, who's got this very forward attack, attack, attack type of mentality – we now have the complementary pieces to kind of take uh, to to take advantage of washing out the defense like that, right? Like that was happening before. It's just the player that it was ending up the the hands that it was ending up in just weren't as good of a shooter, weren't weren't as confident of a shooter, weren't as willing and as that like first that first instinct D of like, oh yeah, I'm open. I'm absolutely shooting this ball. Like Malik Beasley has taken eight threes a game for the last four seasons. Uh, They had a stat on the, on the broadcast last night, that what he's shooting now in terms of attempts per game is more than any Laker has ever attempted in a season in Laker history. So it just adds this dynamic that really flips the team on its head. But I do think it's important to preserve and capitalize on what we've done before. And that's what I'm excited about is seeing just the degree of force combined with the level of skill on the perimeter. That's really the, the sweet spot right there. 100% One hundred percent agree with
3: that, and I think Delo showed that too in his shift that ended with that spring yeah. spring ankle. He was pushing the hell out of the ball. He was also he was forcing some passes too. He had some unfortunate turn turnovers, and it's gonna everyone seemed to be kicking the ball around in that first quarter. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we haven't played in a week or so, and what does this feel like? And game speed, and like I'm just dropping the ball a lot.
2: Like not unusual several- first game back from an All Star break. Yeah.
3: So, but Russell, Mike, and you've watched a bunch of him since he left left the Lakers, he's not averse to playing in transition and, and being sort of that lead guard that that hunts transition opportunities as well. And And I love, I've loved over the course of his career that he has been great at throwing that diagonal pass, which is like a super important pass in transition basketball, where like there's three running lanes. Four, actually, within a typical NBA fast break. And if you have all five players that are going to participate in, in a fast break, there is typically the guy who has the ball in the middle of the court. There's a guy on each wing. There's a player who is rim running. Mm-hmm. So that is a fourth lane is right to the front of the rim, right and then the fifth lane is sort of the trail player and that trail yeah. player is there to keep floor, floor balance, right? And so if the transition play does not develop into a scoring chance, even in early offense, then the trail play, you can play ball reversal through, through him. And those are the five sort of like. Positions on the floor within transition basketball that that are going to matter.
2: They also serve a role in transition defense, right? A lot of times these plays, whether you make or miss, are going to conclude quickly and you need that guy back to not give up a two on zero going the other way. And so, think about the middle of the court, Pete, with the guy with the basketball.
3: And a lot of times, that guy is not in the middle of the court. It's almost like a field goal kicker, how field goal kickers almost never kick right from the middle of the field. They're often kicking from one of the hash marks, right? Because that's sort of where Mm -hmm. the ball gets lined up. And so, players on a fast break who handle the ball, they're often actually running up one of the lane lines and not right up the middle of the court. And so, when you've got someone in the opposite wing who is filling that wing lane, And you've got another and you've got the guy who has the ball in the middle of the court, but he's actually running up the other the opposite lane line that creates a certain amount of spacing. And Russell is great at hitting that diagonal because
2: that diagonal pass to the guy that's running the opposite wing. The diagonal pass also flips the strong side and weak side. So one of the reasons it's so effective is defensively, your job becomes different in that moment once the ball gets passed from D'Lo to that to the other side of the floor. Well, and it's one of the reasons why
3: when you brought up Beasley, Pete, and Beasley and his running habits, and this is, I, and I
2: Darvin, I'd love yep. to ask
3: Darwin about this, right? But Beasley's running habits are, I'm a corner fill player, right? And so, and KCP was a guy. If you're not familiar, go watch old KCP tape from his time with the Lakers, but he was always a corner field player within the context of, of a transition play. And it, I'm sure it drives players like James Worthy nuts, right? Because Worthy was a wing runner as well, but mm-hmm. Worthy is running in to the basket. The basket. He No, wa- yep. oh, he wanted that Statue of Liberty dunk every single mm-hmm. time, right? Like he's standing he so that fun. He was so underrated, yeah. But in the modern NBA, that wing actually flares and he keeps running all the way to the corner in order to create spacing. And Beasley is one of those players where if he's running opposite of the ball and he's filling that corner on that diagonal, when it can be like swing to him, the defense has no chance. They have no chance to get to him.
2: The one where DiVincenzo had the flyby is a great example of this type of the effect that this pass has, right? It's because your job is flipped and now you're sprinting toward that corner to close out. And that's just a shot fake flyby. And I love that Beasley actually makes the wide open for five seconds (laughs) types threes. I feel like we always miss those. This is where, to
3: Pete's point, that integration of the things that the Lakers have done well, which is like they have been a dynamic transition team. They have been a dynamic team that can score in the paint. But now what they're doing is, is they are integrating high volume three-point shooters into that ecosystem. And a player like Beasley, a player like D'Lo, like one of the shots that D'Lo hit, that was a super important shot in the game where he was just like, it's like I never left. And that's the clip that got pushed out to to uh, the world through all of Lakers social me- me- media stuff. That came off of a play where D'Lo was pushing, semi-transition, everyone's collapsed, everyone is spread out and he's hitting a pull up three in transition, as everyone lays off, he makes it double-digit lead for the Lakers, timeout other team, and the Staples is exploding. Now, that is fundamentally a different type of transition play, Mike, but it's the same than what the Lakers have been before the All-Star break. Instead, that used to be a, we're going to push to the rim, and we're going to try to get a dunk, and we're going to score inside. But now, they have added variance to their transition game, and that sort of expansion of their transition basketball i think is going to be super important to them because it's going to flow into more half court stuff as well
2: all right so let's take a break and when we come back let's talk about uh what are our takeaways from these early games we get the next time you hear from us will be after the dallas game on sunday lakers got a big three game road trip coming up right now let's talk about that on the other side of the break
1: I spoke today and it's, it's more like LeBron we've seen. And I think Darius put this in the text thread early in the game when he has been off for a couple of days. And even if it's just that he's skipped a game, he's been like, he hasn't been in that peak rhythm, but of course he's so good that he can still find a way to impact. However, like he ended up with eight assists in his 26 minutes last night, even though he couldn't get a shot to fall and he rebounded fine. He had three offensive rebounds where does he think he needs to focus his attention uh on to sort of make this team go in its best direction does he come out and want to be more aggressive offensively uh does he want to come out and make sure that beasley's getting early threes or that russell's getting an early screen roll with anthony davis does he does he want to conserve some of his energy on the defensive end which it looked like he was doing early in the game uh by essentially just not even going out to contest a couple of shooters including clay on one possession Or does he think maybe maybe set the tone defensively for the first quarter like he did in the 1920 year now that he has some of these other uh, these other offensive options. And to me, like I don't know the answer to that. And I think that it could change from game to game. But it's going to dictate some um, as once the Lakers get into these games that are going to be a little bit more competitive and against teams that are playing a little better um, that are in this case going to be on the road, you know, where the Lakers have played well. And how does he want Vanderbilt to play off of him? You know, how does AD fit into that? So, Pete, if I can start you there, what's the outlook for LeBron now that we've seen at least a a decently little small, like a decent sample size, even if just in two games? Like we still have seen a lot as to what the capabilities of these players are. So where do you see LeBron leading this team as you get on the trip?
2: So offensively, I think he has a chance to be more of the conductor than he's ever been and and less of the guy that has to be really um, the guy that creates something. I think that both Beasley and Russell in particular, but Austin does this too. Like Austin being in the mix as well, he had a perfect shooting night. We hadn't brought him That's up yet. Right. Yeah, he was just, just phenomenal. And the level of skill collectively, they are – able to read and react to however the defender is guarding them be like okay you're giving up this you can't that's one of the truths about nba defense is you can't take everything away and so the way that coaches scheme and players play on an individual matchup is really to shade you toward doing the thing that you do least effectively and kind of live with the results from there and so lebron being able to i think often stand in one place while the offensive world moves around him and he goes oh here you go. This shot's open. And then the guy taking the shot being like, oh yeah, this is what I do. I love this shot, right? I think that it's a really natural fit. And that's exactly why I would love to turn more of our attention to the defensive end and what, LeBron, what LeBron's defensive role on this team is. Obviously, this is balanced against the year 20 and all of that. But he is capable of things defensively on the interior that nobody on the team, aside from Anthony Davis, is capable of. D. It's something that to be at his very best, he needs to tap into a level of just go, go get it and motor that he rightfully does not tap into for 82 games, and it will it will more so down the stretch. But I think he's an important defender on this team. D. So. I'd love to hear your thoughts there, man. Like LeBron as a defender on this version of the the team, who is he and what do we need from him? Well, this is an interesting question. I want to see how
3: engaged he's going to be defensively from a motor aspect, because I think from a, like his give a damn has to be higher than it was in this last game, right? Where he, (laughs) so I'm gonna take a step back. LeBron's an interesting defensive player because if you give him, a top dude, he is too competitive to like not stand up to that top dude and be like, I'm going, I'm basically going to try to take you out of the game. If you give him like a player who is not as much of a offensive threat or who has a real deficiency, particularly as a jump shooter, he will lay off
2: that dude and just be like, ah, thanks. And that'll be part of the game plan too. That's part of Darwin's scheme and just the Milwaukee type system is if you've got a guy, there are gonna be a couple guys on the floor where you're like, Go for it. You go ahead and take that. And LeBron's usually going to be the guy guarding that guy. You just got to make sure that he's not setting a screen for Klay Thompson because then LeBron's got to step out and and cover that.
3: Yeah. And and so for me, the things that I look for, Mike, with LeBron defensively and where I think he needs to be really good, Pete, is in his rotations. Because when LeBron is making his rotations and making them with real vigor and with real force – he is still the type of athlete that stands out when you watch him the sort of defensive plays that i'm looking for lebron to make are not necessarily the these highlight plays um where he's getting blocks at the rim or chase down actions or or anything like that it's it's more when he is the backside defender is like a power forward and he has to make that rotation into the paint in order to stop a roll man or to tag a roll man and then go from there back out to the three point line where his primary responsibility might be, making that rotation is the most important rotation that he's going to need to make. And if he makes that consistently and he makes it with, with real effort, I think the Lakers can be a, a a dynamic defensive team because Vanderbilt is going to be running around and and playing with so much effort on that side of the ball, and AD is amazing defensively. He was amazing against the Warriors yes, again, he was. Mm-hmm. again, right? And so LeBron needs to be the guy who fills in between how great AD is. And Vanderbilt's motor, and he needs to sort of leverage what his tools are as both a strength player who, when he makes that first rotation from the back line and then has to sort of tag a role man who is typically going to be a center or Mm -hmm. a big burly dude who is getting downhill, he has to be able to get in there and stand up to that dude. And then... If he's guarding a more perimeter-based player, he then has to make the decision on what is my closeout responsibility? Am I closing out hard because he's a shooter and so I'm getting out there high? Or is he a closeout short, but be ready to like absorb the drive and cut that dude off? And when he's making that rotation in the exact way it needs to be made, that's when you know he's locked in, Pete and Mike. And, and that's that's where I want him mentally. Right. And and that to me is the sort of import that you're that you mentioned, Pete. And, and so, Mike, I'm I'm wondering what that looks like from your vantage point.
1: Yeah, it's just it's like uh, LeBron doesn't need like, it's not like he doesn't understand, right, what he has to do or what's going to work well. It's all about how is he gauging the level of energy that he's going to devote to what? And so if he if he goes into the game and there are 10 boxes that need to be ticked uh, in terms of what he wants to get done, on a on a given night, where does first half defense against team A sit? And so at Dallas now, the next game the Lakers are gonna have, it's Luka Doncic. The Lakers should have beaten Dallas last time they played. It was that ridiculous double overtime game. And they also they lost on Christmas Day when they were up at halftime, and then the second half was just kind of a disaster, but no AD. And you know, Austin at the five. But That's the that came, infamous
2: Austin at the five game.
1: Yeah, that was the four the, the sort of four guards. Plus, Austin is the big. I mean, in that game, the starting lineup, it, the double OT game, the starting lineup was shooter Max Christie, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Thomas Bryan, and LeBron. <laughs> that that's not a great starting lineup, and the Lakers hung and and they played okay. LeBron was nine for twenty eight and zero for seven from three in that game, and like in in this game. First of all, Vanderbilt. Like, how much is he going to guard Luca?
2: Mm. Uh, you think of it. I'm fascinated like he, by Vanderbilt. Man, is he is he the guy we've been looking for? That big, physical point of attack guy. Can he do this? Well, that's what I'm saying. So, can he? You got
1: Russell. I don't know if Russell's going to play. So, I would assume then, if he doesn't, that Dennis mm-hmm. Schroeder would start, and he would try to chase Kyrie yep. around. And now, remember, yep. Dallas has Kyrie Irving. So, uh, Malik Beasley is about that is going to be starting. And it's just like a totally different game, right? Just based on a couple of what these additions are. And LeBron, I think, is gonna LeBron and AD. I as much as I want to focus on what it's gonna look like, it's I almost think it's pointless for me to suggest you know something because he doesn't necessarily need it. Like it's just about when he decides to apply himself, you know. And but but from a just from a lineup standpoint and from a who do you want on whom. That's one thing. And then on the other end, Dallas to me can't defend this Lakers team very well based on what their personnel is. And they've been start like the, Christian Wood is on the bench now and they're starting Dwight Powell and going a little bit smaller. It's it's just a it's a fascinating game to me. Uh, and I but I do think that they need LeBron in the the high energy tone setting like he did on on Christmas just to, which they didn't need against Golden State with how shorthanded that Golden State team was and how in-equipped they or ill-equipped they were to deal and how tough it was for them to get good shots because, as Darius just mentioned, AD just completely shut down the paint early. And they were like, well, we're not getting much in here. Um, and then they're, they're also overplaying the three-point shooters for the most part, except for the guys they wanted to shoot threes. So that's the thing that that I'm trying to figure out for this Dallas game is that what is the what is the optimal way um, – d- do you even worry about the matchups that much or do you just sort of try to – what Darvin Ham has been more doing is we're going to play a certain way on defense and we're going to run our stuff on offense and you have to match up to us.
2: I think that's generally the approach, right? I think that Darvin takes – and just the philosophies that underlie the defense are – Play the percentages. Like if you give up these types of shots to these types of players over the course of a hundred possessions, you're going to be okay. And in in, aggr- in aggregate, however, sometimes you're going to face a team that is naturally a good jump shooting team, and you're going to do that and leave guys open, and they're going to make the shots, right? And that's what we saw in on the Christmas Day game against Dallas, where they put up 51. But as you rightly put it, Mike, these are very different teams, very different rosters than the last two times these teams played. What I'm curious about is this is the first time with the new group that we've faced real pick and roll heavy guards, right? In in also in guys that can create for others, specifically Luca more for Kyrie, although Kyrie certainly does, right? But guys who use high ball screens. B.I. and C.J. McCollum come off of a lot of off-ball screens, so does Dame, so do the Warriors, they're the the kings of that. And so stylistically, these are two of the very best pick and roll players in the entire NBA. And so on defense, Darius, that's going to present uh, a certain uh, matchup problem for us. Also, Wood is a very skilled big who can either roll to the basket and be productive or pop out behind the three-point line. So curious your thoughts on the matchup defensively against Dallas, because they pose a different problem.
3: They do pose a different problem, and this is where a pick-and-roll-heavy team, who's setting those screens Mm -hmm. is what I'm interested in. And is it the player that's being defended by Anthony Davis? Because if it's the player who's being defended by Anthony Davis, I am instantly more intrigued at what it looks like when Luka Doncic is trying to get downhill – And it's A.D. who is that defender who he is in the cat and mouse game with versus Thomas Bryant. You know what I mean? Or or no offense to Wenyon, Wenyon Gabriel. Or Damian Jones, which is what it was like early, very early on in in the season when it came to the Lakers defense and, and like who which center was in the rotation. Right. Or to a certain extent, even LeBron James, who is not Anthony Davis when it comes to like that sort of playing the middle ground and taking away everything all at the same time. Now, LeBron's a great switch option. He can do a lot of different things, but it's different. And so I'm when you talk about like the pick and roll heavy team, Pete, like, is it going to be guard to guard action? Is it going to be wing? Like because Luca is one of those. He is one of those LeBron with the Cavs sort of pick and roll ball handlers. He is not a always like, hey, Dwight Powell, come up and set this screen. It's just like, oh, well, who am I trying to target in this group, right? And that's why I'm interested to see who is on him initially and who the screener is, right? Because that's going to dictate the flow of the Lakers defense, if that makes sense.
2: Mike, do you think – I, I say this with the caveat that nobody can do this past a certain point. Do you think Vanderbilt, from your years of watching him, do you think he can handle a, a Luca matchup?
1: I mean, just as well as anybody else, you know? Like yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'll take that, that he, right? He, so, he, so Vanderbilt, I did the pregame interview with him for Spectrum yesterday, and I asked him a, a question about defense. And essentially, like, did you – did you, were you a guard basically at a certain point that grew? And I think I phrased in that way, not just defensively, mm-hmm. but because he can handle a little bit. And, and he was like, well, yeah, I played guard like earlier on in high school. And he didn't answer specifically when I, I said, did he have a late growth spurt or something? But he's just, he's such a hybrid type of a, a player that I, I don't think he was a guy that, that was just like a center when he was six, you know? And then again, when he was 10, but it, it as he kept growing, he sort of, Slotted into that spot based on his guard skills weren't as good as the guys at Kentucky, and he was right. also six eight six nine. And but he's still he's just he views himself. I've heard a couple other players describe themselves like this, but he doesn't even really think about it. He just says, "I just play basketball, man." Like almost like, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you have to switch onto the perimeter, and sometimes you have to go inside, and sometimes you have to go get a rebound, and sometimes if you're open in the corner, you shoot a three. So, he doesn't really worry that much about the definitions that we typically put guys into. And I think that if you can hang with, with Brandon Ingram, there are some similarities with Luca. Um, Luca's obviously a higher level and he can get shot, he's bigger and stronger. But that to me is what that's where Vanderbilt helps some more than like a, a perimeter only type player that's just trying to kind of keep him in front. Like, so, I do think that he can match up in that context. And I'm also curious with Vanderbilt about, we haven't really talked about him hurting the Lakers spacing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So they it, like on offense, the last couple of games, they've gotten plenty of open shots in the perimeter. He's just kind of been doing dirty work and he had three offensive rebounds and he cut in for a dunk. He should have had another one that he fumbled on the baseline. So he, he remains to me maybe the most intriguing part of this, of this starting lineup, just because you can still shift him in different spots where you need to. And asking him to defend Luca for at least some part of the game, I think is totally sensible. As you guys know, you never want to do the same thing with Luca for the whole game. You know, you don't eventually he'll just sort of figure him out and and start to cook whatever it is. So, yeah, but, but I think that there, there are going to be a healthy dose of minutes that I think Vanderbilt could give Luca some problems at least and and make things tough on
2: him. I'm going to be keeping a keen eye out for that on Sunday because that like BI, for example, BI gets a lot of his points just as a, I'm a pull-up jump shooter with a seven-four wingspan, and there's just this physical reality of how he's built that he's just going to go over the top of you, and that's great. And very few guys can meet him at the summit, and so he doesn't have to have a particularly complex bag to get to be dominant. Even as hell, he almost brought them back against Toronto last night. He was great down the stretch. Um, Luca, though, is a, a technician in a way that. If you're not used to guarding point of attack ball handlers, if that's not like the main thing that you do, I think that's a huge ask of a guy. So that's the thing I'm going to keep an an eye out for this weekend is, can he get some wins, D? Not something that, you know, lock down Luka Doncic. It's not not a matter of that, but just win some of the possessions against a guy like him. And if he can, I think that just adds a certain type of defender that takes away what I think LeBron would have had to do in the absence of that. So that's why I think it's a big Uh, it's an important question is can Vanderbilt do stuff like that
3: yeah the question the question is can he I hope but to me the question is will he be asked to
2: well he guarded clay he called that on yesterday's pod
3: so is and that's a coaching decision right and so a lot of learning new players when you're a head coach is throwing them into the deep end of the pool and seeing if they sink or if they swim mm-hmm. NBA defense, especially in 2023 is definitely that on most nights, but there is no deeper end of the pool than Luka Doncic. Right. It's mm-hmm. just like there's LeBron James, there's Kevin Durant, there's Luka Doncic, there's, there's Giannis, Jokic, Curry. That's an Olympic sized pool. <laughs> and it's that, and the deep end is way over there. Right. And that's where those dudes reside. And you get put on an island against those dudes with all of the screen actions and all of the things they have at their disposal. And you're going to end up looking bad more often than not. Right. That's why these dudes are in the top five, six of MVP voting damn near every season. But Darwin's going to have to make a decision on whether or not, like, am I going to ask this dude to do this? And that's part one, because if he does, I am super intrigued by the tools that Vanderbilt brings and just his get after it, because that's what you need against those sorts of dudes Mm -hmm. is you need a determination in your brain. I remember listening to P.J. Tucker talk about defending Kevin Durant and that whole idea of you have to lie to yourself (laughs) when you're guarding dude you have to lie to yourself like i'm doing a good job like like i'm doing it i'm doing it i'm getting after it again like i don't care that he made the last one i'm getting after you again 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 because that's the you have to have like it's the mindset of a psychopath really when you're when you're basically like i'm not locked in a room with you like you're locked Mm -hmm. in a room with me even though this dude is like continuously like pat pat has always been absolutely totally but pat bev is six foot one Having a dude like Vanderbilt who is six foot eight, six foot nine and rangy and long arms and just gets after it like, yeah, this is the sort of dude that the Lakers have been pining for. And Lakers fans especially have been like, give me one of those dudes, please. And so I hope Vanderbilt defends him. And I was just looking at the game logs. AD hasn't played against the Mavs in either of the previous matchups
1: this season. And so that is a wrinkle. And so, so just to, just back of what you're saying, like I was listening to Roger Bell on the Real Ones podcast and the rigger, and he was talking about guarding Kobe. In fact, he talks about this all the time. And it's like you're just you have to accept that you're going to lose a bunch of times. But can you make it tougher on him? And that's the kind of thing with Vanderbilt. I just I don't think he cares. He, he doesn't seem to be that kind of guy like, oh, Luca cooked me on the previous possession. Like he's just he's going to he's going to move his feet. He's going to be long he's going to take some losses and then he's going to go on the other end. And he's going to mm-hmm. offensive rebound. Like he's just not, he's not that concerned. He, that's why. And I think that KCP that we were talking about him earlier, there were some quality qualities that I liked about him in that way, where he was, whatever happens, he's still going to run up and down and transition. And and like you had brought, that's what I was. I was uh, eager to see Beasley do that same part mm-hmm. of the thing, but these are good things that, uh, that certain players have in common. And I think, I think Vanderbilt fits into that tree, but Anthony Davis is a particular problem for this Dallas Mavericks team uh, because they, like Dwight Powell, is not the type of defender that no. bothers him that much. You know, he, he's not Draymond where like he's about Draymond size, but he's he's just not like he's. And Christian Wood is not going to do anything um, with Anthony Davis, so that's the in a different way from what AD was able. Part of what Golden State did, I thought, effectively, and they may have done it too much. And AD said yeah. so after the game. He was like man, they were just playing me a certain where they were just completely open to having the ball kicked over Mm -hmm. to the other side of the court and having wide open shots. Like they were, and I get that game plan, but I don't think Dallas can even execute that that way because they don't have the personnel to. And so it should be, it's like this this weird mix now if you've got all these different options pete where hey man let's try to make sure beasley gets a lot of shots and yeah lebron can attack but this is a game where i would like to see ad kind of smash the mavericks inside i think
2: that that's going to be the way that we look to win these games is whatever the team we're facing the thing that you can't guard or the thing that you don't do well we can attack and exploit that and so uh, guys i would love this to go 10 15 minutes longer but we gotta wrap up here we will be back on monday to see how the dallas game goes going to be fascinated by that but until then you've been listening to the laker film Room podcast we'll catch you guys next time danger's
3: got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic fires it's game the lakers win the game the lakers
1: win the game three seconds left that next will win it. it's on the way Kobe bryant 48 points 16 rebounds with his eighth blocked shot that ties an nba
0: finals record a lot of laker fans okay, sticking so around for this you're seeing something that's very rare indeed a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of
1: all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddy pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe
4: Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the first move. Goal. Two. First one. Missing. Unbelievable. Long Long the it's over.
0: James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a
1: closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the Raptors.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?